It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. The Athletic. Right, Reds, Tony Evans here at Walk On, your Liverpool podcast from The Athletic. Don't let it bounce, just don't let it bounce, Virgil! Well, it was a rare defeat for the Reds, and we'll talk about the loss at Arsenal and much more with James Pearce and Simon Hughes. But as ever, let's start with those three words. I'm not even going to come to you, Si, I am not even going to come to you. I know what you like, you slacker. James. Um... Sense of perspective. Very intelligent, very clever. He's brighter than he looks, isn't he? Yes, what a strange game. One of us does our homework, Tony. Sai. Well, I was just going to say, what a mess, but... (laughs) 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 I rest the case. Brilliant, I love that, I love that. Well, let's see what they're saying. (laughs) Let's see who they agree with over on the Walk On Podcast Facebook group. Well, Paul Wilkes says, wake up call. Anthony Darcy was still top. Marcus Pension, it's only February. And Sean Breslin, too many overreactions. What would I say? Oh, buckle your seatbelts. To join our community of listeners on Facebook, just search Walk On Podcast and join the group. Let it bounce. Martinelli showed an interest. Well, you know, I just said, what, Van Dyke? Yeah, I mean, is it me? Or is, like, the fundamental coaching shout slash concept of defending is don't let it bounce? <laughs> yes, I think it is. Um, it, it just, do you know what? It's just inexplicable. I wouldn't completely... Take Allison out of the out of the line of fire either. I thought it was a collective breakdown in communication. Yes, Van Dyke should have dealt with it earlier, but then at the ball and Allison can go back to sleep. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, but I think having then decided to let it bounce and then was clearly like almost like you trying to use his body to just shepherd it, waiting for Allison to come and deal with it. Allison then has to make sure that he, you know, you can't come out and then not get there like he did. And I know it was a little bit unfortunate with, you know, obviously Martinelli bumps into Van Dyke and then that contact kind of obviously affects Allison. But just infuriating that so many different ways that Arsenal can hurt you. And yet that game was essentially settled by a wound that was very much self-inflicted. And also the, the timing of it as well, because as bad as Liverpool were overall on the day, which I'm sure we'll come on to, they were actually having their best spell at that point. You know, they'd had the absolute gift of that equaliser they didn't deserve just before half time. And the certainly the atmosphere around me in the stadium at the Emirates was was starting to get, you know, there's a little bit of unrest, a little bit of kind of frustration creeping in. Because at that point I thought would I thought Liverpool might have gone on and, and won the game, but then 
you know that happens and the the whole mood is transformed. Yeah, I mean, say the Emirates is like it's a bad place, isn't it, for Alison and Van Dijk? Do you remember the year we won the league, uh, the the COVID game? I was there myself when um, there was a, a Van Dijk back pass that gifted Arsenal a goal, and then then Alison thought, "Oh, hold me beer," and like roll the ball out and give them a second goal, and we went from being one 0 up to losing. It's, it's strange that two good players should put in performances like that in that stadium. Well, I thought Alison was a bit ropey throughout the game, to be honest. I mean, he he has maybe two maybe three games a season when he performs like that when his kicking just isn't quite right and he sort of laboured to make decisions and, and puts the tee or the, certainly the defence under an unnecessary amount of risk and that was one of those performances on Sunday really so I wasn't actually that surprised that he was involved in an incident like this although you couldn't lay the blame entirely at his door the thing is right I remember two seasons ago when Liverpool beat Arsenal in the, in the League Cup semi-final at Arsenal having drawn at Anfield, it was a similar sort of game where Arsenal dominated and created, actually I would say, a lot more clear-cut chances in the in the League Cup game. But Liverpool managed to sort of put the barricades up at, at certain points and then stole a goal and then ended up winning the game. It was that sort of game. If, if Liverpool see that see that period through and score the next goal when it's one all, it could be a very different outcome. So... I think as a consequence of the mistake and the result, you, you sort of trail back and look at, you know, what happened before a lot more. Whereas with the result two years ago when they played in the League Cup and won, you almost forget like sort of that. That's sometimes what you've got to do against Arsenal, you know, because they are a very good team. You know, they've got pace in the wide areas. Maybe the the one area that they miss really is is, is a centre forward who, who who's going to score you fifteen to twenty a season. If they had that, I really do think they'd be a lot closer to the title. So it was a really, really sort of really frustrating way to lose the game, I would say, from Liverpool's perspective. Because they, I thought they'd actually they'd, they'd seen out the difficult part and then they ended up messing it up themselves, really, whilst not under a huge amount of pressure. Yeah, James, I mean, we're focused in there on Alisson and Van Dijk, but was a collective mess, wasn't it? You know, I mean... Did anyone play well? Well, it was thin pickings, wasn't it? I thought I thought McAllister did as well as anyone for probably seventy odd minutes, and I thought he he tired and started losing a few a few battles in the final quarter of the game after after Arsenal had gone back in front. But yeah, it was it just felt like it was a collective bad day at the office, wasn't it? As Klopp described it, and I think there was a number of reasons for. That. I think it's difficult to look beyond. Fatigue in terms of, you know, Liverpool put so much into that demolition of Chelsea in midweek. Klopp said himself after that game in the press conference, he said, you know, I've just been in, I think I think it was in reference to, he was asked about, you know, is this now give you a, a really nice headache in terms of the options you've got for, for Arsenal away? And he said, you know, well, I've just been in the dressing room and they're all absolutely knackered. And I just thought Liverpool lacked that kind of spark and edge for big chunks of that game. I mean, they were lucky to only be 1-0 down when they got that gift of an equaliser. You know, probably the stat that jumps out more than any other when I was looking at them on Sunday night was Liverpool only won possession once in the final third throughout the whole 90 minutes. You know, that figure was 13 against Chelsea. They didn't press well enough. They didn't shut down space. It was far too easy for Arsenal to, to play through Liverpool. And they created next to nothing, didn't they? When you think... What was it? One shot on target in 90, 90 plus minutes 
And even that was a pretty tame effort from Luis Diaz midway through the second half. So, um, yeah, it was Liverpool have been so consistent for so long, so good at even finding a way to win when not at their best and grinding out results. But, um, yeah, it just wasn't there on Sunday. Against, let's not forget, it was against a decent team. Yeah, I mean, I suppose it puts the performance against Chelsea in perspective. Chelsea are just rubbish. So we better sweep them aside at Wembley. Uh, anyway, but no, they were a couple of things here, say, you know, one, are the doom-mongers who say we should have been the Cups early on, does this give them any credibility? And um, how nervous you feel about Manchester City coming up on the shoulder? The thing is that certain things that you can't legislate for, isn't it, in, in, this process, in, the, in the course of any month. I mean, it, Klopp did rotate the team quite a lot. You know, in, in in the cup matches, before. and and they they had time off and, as well. And they had time off, so I don't really see that argument, to be honest. Um, as for City, I mean that they've been on a really good run. I've said before, I, I saw them at Everton just after Christmas, and I, you could see in the performance that they were getting a bit of a steam up then, and they just got better and better. I mean, if people want to sort of um, cling to something, I mean, maybe it's too early to say to cling to that because it, it sort of feels like. City are getting that momentum that they always get around this time of season. But they do have a really difficult march. Uh, they've got the Manchester derby on March the 3rd. Then they've got a... That's not going to be difficult. Well, okay, okay. But it's it's a match where they'll have to think anyway. Put it that way. I'm, I'm getting to the hard parts, Tony. So they then got a Champions League match. Then they've got Liverpool away, which I'd always back Liverpool at home in any game. Uh, then they've got Brighton away. Then they've got Arsenal at home. So I think that that will be... The month that determines really the outcome of the Premier League season. I think if Liverpool can beat City and they're still in touch and put pressure on them, and then they've obviously got Arsenal to come and Brighton in that month as well, which you're never quite sure what you're going to get from Brighton, um, certainly this season. So I think you know certainly up until the end of, of by the end of March, we, we will know things. Things will be very clear, I would say, as to as to where the title is going to go. The small cushion has gone, James, and now. That game, you know, against City just looms massively, doesn't it? And they can't afford to slip up before then. No, no. I think um, I think Liverpool have got four league games before then. City have got five. So, you know, if they keep on collecting the points you'd expect them to, then, you know, City would come to Anfield a point ahead, wouldn't they? So, that, I mean, that game has, has looked big for quite a while, but I think now it just it, it, it just looks seismic in terms of how much it could shape this season. And I'm sure Klopp would have been banging this drum since the weekend as well, behind the scenes at the AXA in terms of like, let's not get carried away with with just, it's one setback, you know, having having gone, what was it, 15 games unbeaten in the league since that controversial defeat at Tottenham in September. You know, there's still 15 games to go. It's so, There's so much football still to be played. And and yeah, it's, it's still in Liverpool's hands because, you know, if they do beat City and win the remaining games, you know, then the title's there. I don't obviously believe for a second it will pan out like that because there's bound to be other twists and turns. But um, yeah, Liverpool's record at home to City is unbelievably good. I think two wins out of 36 it is for, for City at Anfield in all competitions. Guardiola's only won once at Anfield in his tenure at the Etihad and that was that was behind closed doors during, during COVID. I think it's two draws and five defeats Guardiola suffered at Anfield. So... Yeah, long way to go. City, of course, City look ominous. I watched them against Brentford and 
it was unbelievable the the golf the golf in quality and the way in which even going behind against the run of play there was no semblance of concern and we know that you know Haaland's back De Bruyne's back they've got so much ability but Liverpool have only got a play City once and and it's on home turf where as Simon said you'd fancy them to be anyone especially with when the stakes are so incredibly high so one of the things is and I don't think people have actually grasped this yet. And we keep saying it on this podcast because you know what? We've grasped it. It's how City have skewed things, you know, 115 charges, all that, you know. But they've changed the nature. I mean, how many seasons in the history of English football would you have got to February and there been such doom and gloom about two defeats, just two defeats? Well... I've been thinking about this and it's not really, I think if Liverpool don't win the league, I think on reflection, it might be the draws, you know, earlier on in the season, some of the, the careless draws that they've had that, that, that they'll look back on and, and regret. But yeah, I mean, City have changed the goalposts in terms of what you've got to do to win the league in most seasons. Liverpool, I've got record points totals twice, finishing seconds, which points totals in any other pre Abu Dhabi period would have been by far and away enough to win the league by some considerable distance. So that's what you're up against. I mean, I do think that people overlook this at times, that Ian Klopp's Liverpool and the fight that they've put up to try and chase City down at certain points has given the illusion of competitiveness in the Premier League. Had that not been the case, had Liverpool not won the league in 2020, had they not you know, put up the, the sort of the fight that they've had in, in two of the other seasons. You're probably looking at, you know, six, seven, eight successive Premier League titles for, for City. And I don't think people at this stage with all those charges hanging over them would be sort of standing back, serenading them for all the brilliance. Within that, I think there is the, the you know, Pep Guardiola is, is, is outstanding at managing outstanding players and coming up with outstanding ideas to win football matches. Some of the football he plays is incredible. But, yeah, I mean, with, with all that going on, I, I think for Liverpool to, to challenge them, you know, when I hear conversations about, well, yeah, and Klopp and Liverpool haven't won very much in this period. I'm just thinking, get real, you know, get, get in the real world. Look at what is going on here. Look at, look at exactly what City are facing at the moment and, and what they produced on the pitch in that time. And then maybe you'll realise that actually, you know, Liverpool getting anywhere near them is, I don't want to say a minor miracle, but it's taken a lot of hard work to, to, to get there. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. 
That's shopify.com slash special offer. Have your say and get involved by emailing walk-on at theathletic.com. Let's talk about the team club pick, James Gakpo. He didn't have a great game and he hasn't really hit a stride overall, has he? I, you know, I, I think in general, I think Gagpo has been a really, really good addition to the squad. You know, he's not, he wouldn't be in my strongest Liverpool starting eleven, but a great option to turn to when you need to rotate, when you need freshness, and and also when you need someone to impact a game off the bench. But it, I think, it, it just, it really was so clear in that opening hour just how much Liverpool missed a focal point up top because. Arsenal, especially the way that Arsenal approached it, and they, they swarmed all over Liverpool. They did to Liverpool what Liverpool have done to so many other opponents in terms of like closing down space, forcing Liverpool's centre halves, especially to to go long. And obviously, when you go long like that, you need your centre forward to put himself about. You need him to hold the ball up, bring others into play. And Gagpo, for whatever reason, wasn't able to. You know, it's it, it, it's not as natural to him as I think for Darwin Nunes, who is so adept at doing that. So um, yeah, just, it it was just a bad day for Gagpo. He, you know, he had that one sight of gold in the early on when he flashed a shot wide. And then after that, he was completely and utterly on the periphery. And I I was surprised Klopp left it as long as he did to bring Darwin Nunes on. I've got a bit of sympathy with Gagpo actually, because if you look at the most successful signings here and Klopp's made by and large they've gone into a te- into the team and retained the position that they've been signed to play in particularly the four positions Salah as soon as he signed you're playing right wing Mane you're playing left wing and Firmino as soon as Klopp came in sort of became the centre forward really whereas Gakpo has been playing centre forward left wing midfield I just think it's very hard to, to adjust to a new league when you're getting moved positions all the time. So I think it's up to you know the, the manager and the coaching staff to sort of decide exactly what he is and try and give him the chance to to try and get a bit of consistency and momentum into his play because it is hard, particularly you know with, with the way this Liverpool team plays. You know the very specific needs and, and instructions to to play different positions. So. Yeah, he might he might be sort of his versatility could be a strength, but I think for his own sort of good, he needs to figure out. Well, everybody needs to figure out what his best position is. I mean, Gakpo wasn't great, and Gravenberg is hasn't quite got into a stride, has he either? Yeah, it, it has been. I'd say a, a difficult start to his career at Anfield for for Gravenberg. I think I, I've got. I've got a fair bit of sympathy with him, I've got to be honest, because I think with him, some people forget how young he still is. He's 21 years of age. I think because he obviously came through, people were aware of him very early when he came through in Holland. And then, of course, the the move to Bayern Munich didn't work out. But there's a few elements there as well. I think you can't underestimate the fact that he missed out on a pre-season with Klopp. Um, he's been learning on the job at very short notice, having come in right at the end of the window because, of course, Bayern, for a long time last summer, were reluctant to sell him. And, and I just think also just the physicality and the and just the intensity of it, having hardly played when he was at when he was at Bayern, so, and and having to try and get used to being in and out of the side. And, and of course, you know, he wouldn't have started at Arsenal if Sabozlai 
had been fit. You know, we're waiting to find out how long Zabarzlai is going to be out after a recurrence of his hamstring issue, which is which is a real concern. So there's been flashes, I think, in games from Gravenberg. There's there's undoubtedly a player there, but he just hasn't been able to sustain it. And I think sometimes, like on Sunday, you know, he, he, you see him kind of getting shoved off the ball and, and and wanting too many touches and not doing things quick enough. It just it just rams home the fact that there's a lot of potential there, but it's that's what it is at the minute. It's he's he's, he's still a fair distance away from from being like the finished article. Yeah, I mean, we talk about depth of squad and we we've been we've been a bit smug about that over the re- over recent weeks. But you know, the the downside is that there's going to be some drop off, isn't there? You know, it's um in terms of experience, even ability when you're switching people around. So, you know, it's um I I mean, Nunes's injury meant he was on the bench. The attack didn't function without him, certainly until he come on. Well, on the other hand, the attack didn't really function with him, did it? Sorry. I mean, but he, he is increasingly an important figure in the team. Well, he leads the charge, doesn't he? And I think sort of the the fact that he's willing to speculate as well and, and, and take a few risks means that, you know, the team is less predictable. The fact that he'll stretch opposition defences and put them on the back foot allows the team to get up the pitch. Um, obviously, that just didn't happen the other day. And obviously, James mentioned the stats about you know the amount of pressing that went that happened or didn't happen in in the attack i think if nunez had started the game maybe that that wouldn't have been the case well i mean that that that's you're talking stats um oh, no, don't, you don't know. throw a stat at me that contradicts what i've just said tony please no no it doesn't it's like Liverpool are unbeaten in 21 games that he started this season and you know it's um and all four defeats has come when he hasn't been the start in 11 is that just a a freak stat, or does it tell us anything? Yeah, I think it shows that he's making a contribution. I think it, the thing is, Nunes is still relatively a young player who is still learning how to play the role and how to play for a Jurgen Klopp team. You know, he's still learning how to finish as well. And I think, you know, given you know he hit the, the amount of times he hit the woodwork against Chelsea. Some people will say that was evidence that, you know, he's in the right positions. Others will say, well, why didn't he score? You know, he's, he's the sort of player who creates this debate. But as I said, I, th- I think what he does do is is force the opponents to make decisions. And when he's not there, that doesn't happen quite as much. Um, I think Diogo Jota is a, a really great player for Liverpool and very important. I think when the, with the two of them play, it's fine. But I think when Nunes doesn't play and when Jota does play, it's harder for him to create, to find the space that he, he needs to sort of, to thrive, I think, a little bit. So I think that relationship's going to be interesting to watch over the next sort of 6, 12, 18 months, whether these two players who have very different skill sets will continue to um, to, to develop a relationship. I think it's only at the very start of that process, really. And as well, I just, I just felt it was a game where Liverpool did miss Salah a little bit, that sort of star quality. You know, doesn't need much to, to, to deliver a moment with a pass or a goal. And I, th- I just think they needed that quality on the pitch on Sunday. Arsenal, I think, are a really good team and they're not far away from, from being, you know, a contender. I think you, you might disagree. I know you, you're a bit suspect about Arsenal, but I, I, I think they're a really good side. And, and yeah, they're def- definitely heading in the right direction. Their performance reminded me a lot of some of the early performances that, 
the, the Klopp teams doled out to, to fancied opposition. And I think given the way Liverpool have played before, when they lose, it's like a massive shock. It's like, wow, how have anyone beaten this amazing Liverpool team when the reality is Liverpool played well, but they're still having to work hard to win games in most of them. And I just felt it sort of caught up with them a little bit on, on Sunday. James, Cy was talking about missing Salah. When are we going to see him again? Well, um, certainly promising signs, the fact that he's back out there on the grass, running at, at the AXA and, and building up his strength in the gym. So we're just waiting for the medical staff to to give him the the green light to resume team training. So hopefully that will be ahead of Burnley later on this week. We're just waiting. But yeah, it was it was definitely when they and you really think Liverpool have done unbelievably well to cope throughout January in his absence. You know, you know what, what was it? I think seven games in January in total, six wins and a draw. And even the draw was the, the you know the second leg at Fulham that got them through to to Wembley. But it did feel like the absence of players did hurt them for the first time, really, at the Emirates. You know, not not just Salah, but as we said before, Zabozlai. I just think against such a dynamic, energetic midfield, you wanted Zabozlai's athleticism in there, not having Endo, just just to, even having to come on to, as fresh legs when McAllister tired. You had no real option there in, in the number six. And, and of course, you know, Connor Bradley, you know, I know Connor Bradley is relatively, obviously, new to the side, but... You know, that, that's bound to have an impact as well. Someone who, you know, absolutely lit up Anfield a few days previously and, you know, talk about the highs and lows of life, you know, having to come to terms with, the, you know, the heartbreaking news of his father, Joe, passing away on Saturday. And obviously he wasn't part of the squad. So, um, and I think you could see that Trent Alexander-Arnold is still building up his fitness levels after what was it? He hadn't started a game for over a month due to that knee ligament issue. So I, I just thought, it came after a, a pretty punishing run and, and Liverpool looked like a team that just, just weren't quite there. And as we said before, you've got to give Arsenal credit as well. Cause I, I thought they were really bold, really brave and, and, you know, ultimately were worthy winners. And there's, do you know what? Sometimes you just got to hold your hands up and say, you know, Liverpool weren't, weren't quite at it. Um, they, you know, they, you know, they were beaten by a decent team, but, you know, in the grand scheme of things, this is a Liverpool team that have been ridiculously, consistent you can't legislate for things like what happened midway through the second half with van dyke and allison and but for that we, we may well be sitting out talking about is this a sign of potential title winners the fact that they went to arsenal weren't anywhere near their best and ground out a point mm. yeah I, I think Klopp could take a leaf out of roy hodgson's book oh. roy would have had salah roy would have had salah on the bench and thrown them on in the second <laughs> half <laughs> that would have worked out brilliant, wouldn't it? Because he's really good at managing players with injuries. And you know, Tim, I mean, look what he did for, for Torres and Sturridge. Anyway. Uh, I didn't expect a segue to Roy Hodgson there, Tony. I've got to... Oh, you know what? If, 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 if Roy's there to be beaten, let's just beat him. Yeah. I don't like think you can him for... St- Hang on, we can't blame him for Sturridge's injuries. That was- <laughs> He didn't yeah. even arrive until 2013. No, no, no. When um, uh, For England... Oh, for England! Oh, okay. Yeah. okay. Oh, yeah. You can label that. You can label that one on him. All right. Well, yeah. James, don't forget Tony's uh, protecting the interests of England here. Oh, yeah. okay. Yes. <laughs> yes. Oh, 
Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. This episode is supported by FX's Clipped, the scandalous story of the 2014 Clippers owner's racist remarks captured on tape and heard around the world. The series charts the tape's impact on a dysfunctional basketball organization striving to win against their reputation as the most cursed team in the league. Starring Lawrence Fishburne, Jackie Weaver, Cleopatra Coleman, and Ed O'Neill. FX's Clipped. Streaming June 4th, only on Hulu. You're listening to Walk On, brought to you by The Athletic. Simon, you've written about the medical issues. I'm concerned about hamstring injuries because when you talk to players, you know, they always say even breaks and ligaments, you know, there's a kind of a feeling there. The hamstring, they worry about it. You know, is is me next sprint the one that ends it all? You know, we've got Salah with a hamstring. We've got Shabazzlai with a hamstring, which is really worrying. Should I be worried like this? I can understand your concern. I mean, as soon as I was in the stadium in, in Abidjan when he, when he did it and he went down, it did feel like a really big moment. Not to, Well, in, in Liverpool's season, in Salah's season. In, in his career? Because he's never injured? It was really dramatic. I mean, I got accused of overplaying the drama around it by some disgruntled readers on the Athletics uh, comment pages. But, you know, it did feel like... Oh, whoa, 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 whoa. You come to football... And you don't want drama. What's wrong with you people? I know what it was. It was. It was sort of like. Sort of also felt like a bit of a who did it moment because, you know, in in the subsequent days there was a bit of an impasse in terms of the extent of Salah's injury. I I, I was told straight away. Well, that, that's either a grade. It's, it's prob- most likely going to be a grade two, grade two tear, which it turned out to be. This was based on on sort of video footage. Looking back, speaking to to physiotherapists who know about that sort of thing. And they said straight away, well, it could be as long as a month. You know, uh, in a worst case scenario, it could be three months long. But they said that the problem is with the hamstring injury is that, A, what you said, Tony, that the players become quite aware of it. But not only that, it can also lead to to, to problems in other parts of the body as well because, of, you know, it's connected to so many things, really. So there is a concern around it. And it, it felt like a very dramatic weekend. I mean, when... You know, in the, in, the, in the hours that passed, Egypt was saying one thing when it was quite clear that something else was happening. They were trying to hide the truth. Then they put Salah up for a press conference knowing that he was going home anyway. Then Jürgen Klopp announced that he was actually coming back, which wasn't what Egypt were expecting, so they were unhappy. Meanwhile, Salah was sort of in the middle of all this with people trying to, I, th- I think, trying to protect him, but in the end, making it making the situation worse from certainly in the eyes of the Egyptian public who who are already quite distrustful of anybody in authority or, or of anybody of public prominence, particularly Mohamed Salah, who, who sort of keeps a, a very sort of discreet existence. So it made, it made life for him quite difficult. Of course, Egypt went through in the end. The irony is if Egypt had been in the final, which would be this Sunday, it'd be still touch and go now whether Salah was going to be fit, I suspect. 
you know, we we've seen a few pictures from from Mel, uh, sorry, from the Axe the last couple of days. He's not he's not on the pitch training with the players, so the likelihood of him ever being available for Egypt had they reached the final seems pretty remote. Now maybe they've they've decided to not rush that or, or or really push for the recovery as as a consequence of the country going out. Liverpool needs him back. I mean, I think the one thing I would say is that Salah isn't a player who relies on his speed anymore. So, you know, the way he's refined his game, it, it might not quite be as as impactful as people think. But fingers crossed, you know, that it was agreed that he was going to get better treatments at Liverpool. It'd be a quick, quicker route to recovery rather than being sort of holed up in a hotel in the centre of Abidjan, where the only sort of training options they've got is is once a day and, you know, on a... Um, with facilities that, that let's let's have it right aren't 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 as sort of advanced as what they are in Kirby, so it gives them the best opportunity to get back as quickly as possible. But but I do think that I can understand your concerns, Tony. I can, but I, I think you know knowing the way he takes care of himself, I think he'll be all right. Mm. I mean, Shabazzla is very young to be picking up hamstring injuries as well. I mean, you know, I mean, and he's really important to the team, isn't he, James? Yeah, he is. Yeah, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm sure that is partly just down to the, you know, the, the step up that he's had to to handle coming to Liverpool because it is different. It's certainly different in the Premier League. Certainly different when you're playing for Jurgen Klopp. Um, you know, we we all marvelled, didn't we, at his performances in the first two three months of the season, and especially I think back to some of those games when. Uh, Liverpool went down to ten men, and he he effectively did two people's work with the the shifts that he put in. And you looked at all the numbers and the data afterwards, and he'd covered the the biggest distance and everything. So, so yeah, there's got to be a slight worry there that maybe that that workload has taken its toll a bit. Of course, he only came back. You know, I think Chelsea was actually his first start, wasn't it? Since he'd come back from the previous hamstring issue, and then they're they're doing further assessments at the moment because he felt some some pain in a similar area, Klopp said, after the, the Chelsea game. So, um, yeah, with so many big games coming up, of course, you know, any if it's if it's another month, for example, then suddenly, you know, he's missing the Carabao Cup final and, and potentially even that huge game against City at Anfield on March the 10th. So um, that's a bit of a nervous wait there, learn, waiting to learn exactly how long Zabozle will be out for because he is such a, such a pivotal part of that midfield. Yeah, well, I mean... Klopp's had a full week to prepare, and the team, for Burnley at Anfield on Saturday. That'll give them a chance to take stock, recuperate a little bit. It feels to me, say, a good week not to have a midweek game. Yeah, I'd agree with that. And I think Burnley, without being too dismissive of their abilities, are a team that Liverpool probably want to face at home. I'd say the Vincent company of version of Burnley, yes, not the Sean Dyche one, because it's a team that tries to play football and tries to, and gives the opponents an opportunity. Uh, I can't see company changing that. So, yeah, it's, it's a team that I think Liverpool will will be allowed to go and attack and Burnley will, will try and make things difficult for Liverpool by playing football, which is suited to the way Liverpool play themselves. So, yeah, I, I think the fixture has been kind to them there. Yeah. Do you think with Subaslai being out, it puts gives the opportunity slash puts pressure on Klopp to play Trent in midfield? Yeah, but it would be interesting, won't it, to see how he does approach it. I mean, I think Endo is now back at Liverpool, so obviously 
that is a little bit ahead of schedule because Japan were favourites to go all the way, certainly to the final. Um, but them going out before that that stage means that he's back. So I think you do wonder whether it's an opportunity to either give McAllister a breather or play McAllister a little bit further forward. Um, if you wanted to play Endo in there, you're right. Yeah, and then, and then we, you know, the, the unknown at the moment is we we're not it's unclear at the moment. Uh, with Connor Bradley, whether he's going to come back into it, as you said, if he if Connor Bradley is back and ready to resume duties, then potentially Trent in midfield. Uh, you know, Harvey Elliott is another option. I, you know, difficult to see Gravenberg getting a chance from the start after struggling to take his chance last last weekend. But um, yeah, he's still got decent decent options, hasn't he? In 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 that department, I'm sure we'll see Darwin Nunes restored to the starting lineup as well. So, and, and a decision from probably on the left-hand side, you know, whether as good as Joe Gomez has been, is it, is, is it now time to, to restore Andy Robertson on that flank? Because yeah, that was the other thing that jumped out against Arsenal was, you know, rather than Trent stepping into midfield when Liverpool were in possession, he actually stayed wide and it was, it was Gomez playing that inverted role and, and coming into the middle, which, Seem to be employed because obviously Gomez probably you'd say better defensively in terms of protection in the middle when moves broke down. But of course, Gomez doesn't have anything like Trent's range of passing from those central areas, and it actually just didn't work because Trent was hardly in the game. He was, you know, it, it just just couldn't really exert anything like his usual influence on proceedings. So um, yeah, I'm sure there will be changes, um, but yeah, I think. It, it does feel like, as you said, Tony, like f- feels big to have no midweek game. And then, of course, no midweek game next week either in the build-up to go to Brentford because after that, it's it's going to be absolutely relentless. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Talking about relentless, I should imagine the atmosphere will be quite lively on Saturday, say, because the Anfield Road is fully opened at long last. 60,000 people. The league attendance... As Anfield is 58,757 against Chelsea in 1949. Um, even I wasn't there that day. <laughs> yeah, well, obviously, the, the upper tier has been open for a few months now. I, I just think visually it looks quite strange when you've got sort of the middle bands as it has been closed. I was in the, the upper tier for the Man United game, and despite, you know, the, the game wasn't, wasn't, wasn't the best, but... I've got to say, you know, it was it was. I really enjoyed seeing Anfield from a totally different perspective. The from a place that I haven't I haven't seen the rest of the stadium from before. The only thing I'd say is it just makes the cop look really small now. Well, I was I was about to say that. Yeah. That was like the next thing I was going to say. It bothers me slightly, and it's bothered me since they built the main stands up like that. That the cop is has been dwarfed by other stands and now it's the smallest part of the ground and that bothers me a little bit it bothers me as well actually because it's meant to be i suppose if 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 the team is meant to be deriving the most energy from one end of the ground or a particular part of the ground you want that ground that part of the ground to be the biggest part of the ground because that is ultimately going to help the team whereas now you know it's uh, you know there's there's a lot more space in other areas now so yeah, I mean, it's it's something to think about, I, I think. Um, I remember sort of 10 years ago, it's not something you can criticise the club for, really, because, you know, one of the things that I'd say FSG have done outstandingly well is the redevelopment of the ground. I haven't found a solution to it after so many years of, 
of uncertainty and Anfield looks great now, but I don't know. I, I just still want to see the cop like sort of the main focus, not sort of, you know, sort of the shadow, or put, put cast into the shadow amongst all of this. Yeah. It, it, you know, how do you feel about that, James? Do you think we're being That's- a pair of... Um- I'm not going yeah. to say what we're being, but a pair of them. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. I do. No, I, I know what you mean in terms of the um, the visuals of it. But I must admit, even even since the extra fans have been in the Anfield Road, I haven't sensed any shift in like the balance of the atmosphere. I still think the 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 vast majority of the noise comes from the cop. It, it might not look the most imposing structure in the ground anymore, but it's still. It's still the cop, I think, who set the tone. It's still the cop who, like, the the players look to, you know, and I, I think that the rest of the ground takes its lead from the cop quite often when it comes to the, the chants that go round. And so, um, so no, be, it will be good to, to be there Saturday and to, to finally, as Simon said, to finally see that middle bit full. It's probably not going to make a huge difference to the atmosphere in terms of, I think, the extra 3,000 seats, 2,500 uh a corporate seats. Um, so, um, you know, you've, and then, and then it's probably going to be another few months before we see Anfield right up to its new capacity of 61,000. Cause there's a couple of rows at the back of the lower tier of the Anfield road that haven't been put back in yet. There's also some seats in the away end that haven't been as sorted out yet. I think there's a small area there. So, but yeah, it will be the highest ever league attendance at Anfield for the visit of Burnley and it's been a long road, hasn't it? When you think, you know, the Anfield Road was supposed to be fully open for the start of the season in August. You know, you had the, the situation with the construction firm going into administration and, and Rainer Rowan taking the, the job on and all the issues that have come with that. So, um, yeah, I think for everyone involved, there'll be a fair bit of relief finally seeing that, that upper tier full uh, come the weekend. And there'll be even more relief if Liverpool dispatch Burnley because, you know, get back to getting wins under the belt and be able to put Arsenal behind them because it was a poor performance against a good team, but there's still plenty of football to come, isn't there? That's it for Walk On this week. Your Liverpool podcast brought to you by The Athletic. Make sure you catch James at the match on Saturday. We'll be back next week with plenty to talk about. The Athletic.